Welcome to Lasting Truth, a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel, Sweet Hills in Banning, California, where Pastor Ryan Hussein teaches the entire Word of God, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, giving our listeners the opportunity of receiving the full counsel of God. Today our study is in the book of Acts, chapter 21. Here's Pastor Ryan. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace, your love, and your mercy. There is none like you in all the earth. You made the heavens and the earth. You're the one true living God. And Father, we're here honored to be in your house, Lord, with the church filled with people, Lord, of all different sorts, Lord, as you you have designed your body to be. Lord, we pray for every heart here this morning, including my own. You know where we're at. You know who has accepted you as king and Lord of their life. And you know the ones who haven't. But Lord, we know that you're desiring to draw them into your kingdom and so lord we pray that the devil would be bound we pray that hearts would be humble to receive your word for you teach us that you teach the humble your ways so give us humble hearts lord you know i can do nothing without you holy spirit lead me lead us may it be all of you and none of me in jesus name we pray and together we say amen all right so The Apostle Paul, as you know, he's on his way to Jerusalem for the last time. He's wrapping up his third missionary journey, and it has been a whirlwind of blessings and trials, good times and bad times. It basically is a picture of the Christian life, his travels, but he's been all over Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. He's been all over Macedonia, modern-day Greece. He's been all over the world, and he's heading back to Jerusalem, trying to get there by the festival of Pentecost, which takes place 50 days after the Passover. Paul's heart is to bring the gospel to his own countrymen. He's Jewish. He loves his people according to the flesh. He wants them to come to know their Messiah, Jesus Christ. So his heart is to go to Jerusalem, the capital of Judaism, and to preach Jesus. Everywhere that he has gone on his way from Europe and Asia towards Jerusalem, Christians all over have been prophesying that chains await him in Jerusalem, that tribulation awaits him there. Paul knows this. And now he's in Caesarea with his traveling companions and the Christians in Caesarea are telling him the same thing, not to go up to Jerusalem because chains await him. Paul is not deterred. In fact, we're told that when they could not convince him not to go, they stopped. And it wasn't just the Christians in Caesarea. It was his own traveling companions, Luke, the writer of the book of Acts. They're all telling him, don't go. But Paul said, why are you breaking my heart from discouraging me to go? I'm willing to die for the Lord. And again, that's our encouragement. That's our exhortation to have that sacrificial, willing to do anything for our Lord kind of faith. A faith that stems from the reality that we've been saved by so much, including hell. Hell is a, is a, is a terrible place in which Christ saves the sinner from and since we're not going to Hades since we're not going to hell I'm speaking to believers 
shouldn't we give him our all? Shouldn't we have the same gratitude towards Christ? That if you died naked on the cross for my sins, I'm willing to do anything you ask. And that was Paul. And so he's heading that way. And when they could not convince them, they said to him, the will of the Lord be done. And so we begin in verse 15. And after those days, we packed and went up to Jerusalem. Also, some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us and brought with them a certain mason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we were to lodge. And so here we are told that they packed up their stuff and they're heading from Caesarea, they're on the Mediterranean, 65 miles towards Jerusalem. But there's a brother with them named Mason, who was from Cyprus, and we're told he was an early disciple, and they were going to lodge at his house. They're going to, yeah, I guess he has a house in Jerusalem, near Jerusalem, but they're going to stay at his place. I'm blessed by the fact that we're told in these verses that he was an early disciple. We don't read that too often, right? He was an early disciple. What's the big idea? That he was an early disciple. What's so amazing about that? If you think about it, as history rolls on in the book of Acts, as years roll on, and years from the resurrection of the Lord, years from when the Lord ascended into heaven after his death and resurrection, as years pass from that moment on, It must have been fascinating for the early church to meet early disciples. Those who had been closer to the apostles, maybe. Those who perhaps even saw the Lord himself were around back then. But we're going, we're getting further and further in time away from the point when the Lord left. So can you imagine the early church meeting somebody? Oh, this is so-and-so. He's a good friend of Peter. He's a good friend of James and John, he's a good friend of, of the apostles who actually lived with the Lord for and walked with the Lord for three years, or, or to meet early Christians who had seen the Lord, had perhaps heard him teach. Imagine meeting early Christians who had been touched and healed from physical infirmities by the Lord. Wouldn't it encourage the church to meet someone like that? Oh, you saw the Lord? Oh, he healed you? And the further history gets away from the resurrection and the ascension, the fewer those opportunities were for the early church. But this homeboy, Mason, he was an early disciple, and Luke makes sure that he writes that down. Before the day of Pentecost, remember Peter stood up, and spoke to the disciples in Acts 1.15, and he was speaking to them concerning re- the replacement of Judas Iscariot's position. Right? We know Judas betrayed our Lord and hung himself, and so Peter stood up, and his position needed to be replaced. So when he addressed the crowd, it says that there was about 120 disciples only at that point. And that was before the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out. So perhaps Mason was one of the 120 there. But we're told he was an early disciple. What an encouragement it must have been to the church. What comfort to see brothers and sisters in the Lord who who were early disciples, who had been 
been around a long time, who have been through the good times and the bad times of the early church. And I think as it was a comfort to them and, and a blessing to them and it gave them much confidence, I think Paul the Apostle's very presence would have given people confidence. One who had seen the Lord, who had been taught by the Lord. But I feel the same way concerning mature Christians, both in age and in their walk with the Lord. I feel very confident around brothers and sisters of age who have been walking with the Lord a long time, faithfully, and I might say actively. Faithfully and actively. Because there's many who have walked with the Lord for a long time, but perhaps their faith has waned, or perhaps their, act their, their activity has waned. But to see those who, like Mason, an early disciple, they're still opening up their homes to lodge the believers. They're still involved some way. And I think that uh, it is a great comfort to our church. I, I know it for me to see the seasoned saints, to see the gray hair. I can do this. I have a little too. <laughs> 22 years walking with the Lord next month. But I'm a baby. You know what I'm talking about. Older saints, you are so loved. You're so welcome here. You bring us comfort. You bring us confidence the way fathers do to their children, mothers do to their children. I think of uh, old Saint Simeon there at the temple when Jesus was a baby and Joseph and Mary brought him to dedicate him at the temple. And how we're told that Simeon in Luke 2 was a devout man and he was, you know, he was... Uh, waiting uh, for the consolation of Israel and when he saw the Lord baby Jesus actually it says that that he took him into his arms and blessed God and said Lord now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word for my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared before the face of all peoples as light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel they brought baby Jesus to an old saint who blessed him and that's what you do folks that are here i'm not like want to make it, people feel old but i mean you know what I mean? you're a blessing i think of the same part of scripture with the, with anna that widow of many years old in her age luke 2 verse 36 says now there was one anna a prophetess a daughter of phanil of the tribe of asher she was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity, and this woman was a widow of about 84 years, who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of Jesus to all those who looked for the redemption of Jerusalem. An early disciple. If you've been walking with the Lord a long time, continue. We, we, we honor you. We're privileged to be in your presence. Keep, please, continue. Show us the way. Encourage us. Teach the younger men in our church how we should live. Teach the younger w uh, girls in our church how they should be modest, how they should be godly women. Be here. And if you don't see anything happening around, just, just chill. Just chill like Simeon and, and Anna. The Lord will move. It doesn't happen maybe the first Sunday, but after, you know, I love, you, know, even there's, you feel there's nothing to do. There's something to do. God will bring you something to do here at Sweet Hills. Be prayerful. Be open. 
join that prayer team a half hour before church starts? Why not? In Psalm 92 verse 13, it says, Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing to declare that the Lord is upright. If we want to age gracefully, it's only going to happen in the house of the Lord. Right? We were all trying to take care of our elderly during the, you know, everything that happened this last year, but enough is enough. Verse 17, And when we had come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. Now, we're not told here that this was James, the brother of our Lord, or it doesn't mention apostleship, but most commentators believe that this is the half-brother of our Lord Jesus Christ, who was the leader of the church there in Jerusalem, who was also the writer of the epistle James. It had been seven years since Paul was there for the Jerusalem council in Acts 15, where they decided that the Gentile believers did not need to become Jewish in order to be right with God. So that took place seven years prior. And so here they are. Here Paul and his companions arrive to the church in Jerusalem and the Christians have greeted them there with James and all the elders were present. Verse 19, it says that when we had greeted them, he, that is Paul, told in detail those things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. And so Paul began to describe to the church leaders there, in detail we're told, what the Lord had done through the Gentiles. And again, you know that the, the Gentiles and the, and the Jewish people did not mix, and so the book of Acts is very much a, a, about the church becoming open to everybody. We've seen that. Paul preached and taught to the Gentiles all over the world at that time. So he's telling them in detail what God had done. And it is God who did the work amongst the Gentiles. Even though Paul was the vessel, the glory, the, the honor, the one who was responsible for that work is God and him alone. And I like that, that he's explaining to them what God has, had done. And that is how we describe the work of the Lord, as a work of God. Not anything you or I do, but what God has wrought, what God has done. And what did God do amongst the Gentiles? What do you think Paul shared with them? What took place in Ephesus? Hey, in Ephesus, they... You know, all of these Gentile believers, they brought their pagan witchcraft books and burned them. They brought their little silver shrines to Diana and they broke them apart and they actually stopped buying them. Their lives were changed. Gentiles left their immorality, believed on Jesus Christ, and are being saved all over Asia, all over Macedonia, that is what God is doing. People's lives are changed, no doubt. What else would he say to them? The amenities on the ships were so-so? No, he's talking about changed lives. 
That is what God has done amongst the Gentiles. Changed lives is always the proof. And he's there in front of Jewish believers with Gentile companions, Luke, who is a Greek physician, and, and others. He's with Gentiles. Gentiles who have a big purse with money in it because the Gentile churches have changed so much. These people are changed so much that they heard that their Jewish Christian brothers in Jerusalem were in poverty because of a famine. So all the Gentile churches put their money together, send it through these Gentile carriers with Paul. That's what God has done. Bringing Gentiles and Jews together brings people of every color, of every culture together. Only God can do that, and that's what he's doing, and that's what is being described. Change lives. And many believe this was the point when Paul gave them that money to kind of soften up the change of uh, doctrine, if you'd say. But it was their changed lives, no doubt, that he talked about. Oh, my goodness. This, this crazy person or that de demonic person or this person or that person, everyone's changing because of the gospel. And that is still the greatest proof that one has believed on Jesus Christ for salvation. It's a changed life. It is a changed life. That's the fruit. One who has been touched by God, you know, you don't have to shake them up too much and say, seek the Lord, love the Lord, follow the Lord. They have already been touched. They already want to do that. But if they don't, maybe they're not saved. Why don't they want to follow the Lord? Why don't they want to seek the Lord? I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about why do we have to tell them to seek God if they have been born again, if they've made a decision for God. We all are told by Paul, examine yourself to see whether or not you're in the faith or not. There is fruit, and that fruit is a changed life. They literally brought their books and burned them. They, they changed their wardrobes, or everything. Whatever had to be burned was burned for their newfound faith in Jesus Christ. And he would write to the Corinthians, and he would write to uh, the Colossians. He would write to them about, you were once this, but you're not no more. In 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 through 11, he says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Like, don't trick yourself or let yourself be tricked. Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. You were this way, but you're not. That's proof that you're saved. I don't want to do drugs anymore. I don't want to get drunk anymore. I don't want to live in immorality anymore. I want to seek the Lord. It's, super, it's a supernatural change in my heart. I just don't want those things anymore. I want to honor God. I want to seek Him. I want to get to know Him. These are fruits of a changed life. So many Christians are trying to force Christianity into to their loved ones, into their friends. And I get that. We pray for them. But at the end of the day, if they're not bearing fruit on their own, my goodness... What's there? It's better to tell them the truth. It's better to tell them the truth than to live in a lie. 
We don't want people to have a false sense of security. We want them to, to know that they are in Christ. In Colossians, he said basically the same thing to them. Colossians 3, verses 3 through 11. For you died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them, but now you yourselves are to put off all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man and his deeds and have, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all in all. It's black and white with the Lord. God forbid that we gray it up, but graying it up makes us feel better emotionally. But we don't want to gray it up. But you can't warn somebody if you've convinced yourself that those somebodies that you love are okay with God. Best thing you can do is tell them no. See, heaven is a place where people who love God go. People want to be with them. Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, Paul would say. But if we think there's no terror, who are we going to persuade? Where, where would be the urgency? In 1 John chapter 3, verse 6, John the Beloved would write, Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. That's heavy. And he's talking about practicing sin, living in it. 1 John 3, 9, Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed, that's Jesus' seed, remains in him. And he cannot sin because he has been born of God. He cannot sin. A Christian cannot practice sin. They either made a confession that wasn't legitimate. But you can't just say you love Christ and sleep around, fornicate. You can't. Watching pornography, immorality. We all sin, but we're not practicing it. 1 John 5.18, we know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. Someone who has been born of God keeps himself. I love that saying that a mature Christian can take care of himself spiritually and take care of others. A baby Christian cannot take care of themselves and they, do, and they can't take care of others. We get to choose what we want to be. We need to grow. We need to be strong in Christ. We need to have faith. We need to be involved. We need to listen to what God is saying. And we need to tell people the truth about sin. Son, daughter, cousin, aunt, uncle, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa. You don't give him your heart. You will not see heaven. You will not see heaven. And let them tell you, it's cool. I'm cool with that. 
And then we meet, we weep and we mourn and we pray. But at least give them the truth. But he told them the works of the Lord. There's another aspect to this that's just beautiful. He's telling them in detail what God has done. This must have just blown away the church. Who would of course love to hear all the stories of what Jesus is doing around the world. You have a story to tell. And so do I. To those who would listen to you about the details about what God has done in your life. And, and some of us have lost that excitement of, of what God has done. Some of us need to go back and have lost their first love. Joy and remembrance on the day that, that we've come to, we, we came to know Christ. Thank you for joining us today at Lasting Truth Radio. If you're in the area, come out and join us for Sunday services at 10 a.m. or Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. We are located at 3035 West Nicolette Street in Banning. You can also find us on YouTube or Instagram. If you would like to donate to our program, please do so on our website at ccsweethills.org and just hit the online giving tab. We hope you will continue to tune in as we journey through the entire Word of God with the teaching of Pastor Ryan Hussein at Calvary Chapel, Sweet Hills. Chapin, above.